Good. Uh, welcome uh, this morning from me as well. Uh, my name's Simon. I'm one of the uh, leaders of the church, and uh, I think most people who have dropped their kids off have now uh, now come back. So uh, I think we can begin. Oh, it's bright lights again. It's uh, nice and bright this morning here. <laughs> um, I uh, I'm talking today about. Uh, from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. So if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be good to get open there. But I'm actually going to start a little bit, a little bit differently this morning. So we're starting a new, a new series, uh, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts over the coming few months. Uh, an exciting book about, well, some people call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's actually the Acts of God. Uh, and it's it's the fact that the apostles were God's instrument. God, God worked through those apostles, but as we all know, these were the, actually the acts of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the from the resurrection through to the ascension. So I've got a nice dark picture of the resurrection, uh, and then a nice light picture of the ascension. And what I want to talk about particularly this morning is the transformation of the disciples. So I'm hoping that what we do when I'm, as I'm talking is to think about what it was like for those disciples and think about what God was doing in those disciples from that period of the resurrection through to his ascension because there's a transformation going on of these guys. In order to... Now, I need to point this thing. There we go. In order to do this, I need to go back to Luke chapter 24. And I want to read it. And what I'll do is I'll pick out the bits where you notice there's some things going on with the disciples. Because it's quite an interesting picture that comes about, which I, I found I've only just really come to realise it as strongly uh, in the last, uh, last few days as I've looked at this. So let's read together from Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning... The women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning. That's even brighter than some of the other references where it just said they were white. These guys were actually gleaming like lightning and they were in a tomb. So it must be an amazing thing in a dark place gleaming like lightning. Uh, They stood beside them, and in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. They could probably hardly look at the guys anyway. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. So already these women are not quite sure what's going on when these guys appear, are they? It's very clear that they're somewhat confused and somewhat concerned about this. And they're reminded by the angels of the words that Jesus had spoken. So when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. That's quite strong in my book. (laughs) They didn't believe them and their words seemed like nonsense. These were the disciples who'd lived with Jesus for a number of years. And they didn't believe these ladies because they 
felt their words were like nonsense. There was something about the minds of these guys. They weren't quite on track, were they? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. That's a Peter sort of action for you, isn't it? Get, a, get, a, get on with it, find out what's going on. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He hadn't got it yet, had he? He was wondering what had happened. He was thinking to himself, hmm, something's going on here. Uh, now, we, looking back, would think, how crazy can you be? This is obvious. Jesus had been talking about this for several of the previous chapters of Luke, but he still hadn't got it yet. His mind and his eyes were a bit closed there. And now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Actually, there was something going on here. I guess this is the Holy Spirit keeping people's eyes somewhat closed. Interesting. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the, the things that have happened there, there in these days? What things? He asked. I like that. That's, that's a real, so that's Jesus having, I, I think he might have had a slightly tongue in cheek attitude when he was, he was asking that. About Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So these guys have basically laid out the whole story to Jesus whilst walking along with him. They've, they've told him all that's happened, but they still haven't got it, have they? They're, they're, they're so da- they're down, their faces were downcast, it says back in verse 17. They're downcast. They, they've, they've got almost all the bits of the jigsaw of the story, but it hasn't dawned on them what's actually happened. They're amazingly close, aren't they? So he said to them, I like this, how foolish you are. Not many visitors you happen to be walking along the road with go, first, first words they go is just how foolish you are. They still didn't get it, did they? Still hadn't twigged that it was Jesus talking to them. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. But they still hadn't quite got it. So they've now told him the whole story He's then explained the background to it, and they still haven't got it. Makes you feel somewhat comforted that you don't always get things, doesn't it, really? Now, as they approached the, visit, the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as, he were, as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Probably quite amused that he'd been invited in, I guess. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Ah! Just when they'd recognized the thing. What was that all about? How come they just got to that point where they went, ah, it's Jesus, boom, and he's gone. (laughs) Oh, that must have been quite an experience. It's one of my favorite stories, actually. It must have been quite an experience for those guys. They just realized it was Jesus, and then he was gone. Ah, tantalizing, eh? So they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They recognized that something had gone on in them. They were starting now to catch up with what Jesus had been doing. They realized that something had actually been going on inside them. But it was taking them a while to get get up to speed, really. So they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. These guys had only seen him a little while ago when he was with them in, um, in, on the, uh, in Emmaus. But nevertheless, they're still frightened and startled and thinking they've seen a ghost. They're still not quite got it yet have they really and he said to them why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in in your minds look at my hands and my feet it's I myself touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have and when he'd said this he showed them his hands and feet and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. They still, they're going on a bit of a roller coaster. They didn't quite understand all of this. He asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they took a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He's trying to demonstrate it's really me here. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what's written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. This is the backdrop to the book of Acts. This is the last chapter of Luke's previous book, his gospel. And we see the journey that the disciples started to go on from resurrection to ascension. And it was, what should we say, not an easy journey for them. They struggled with this enormously, didn't they? They struggled with coming to terms with what had gone on. They struggled with who Jesus was and and what he was doing. And this journey is fraught with these sorts of changes. So it's a very, very interesting picture 
that's going on. Now, if we move to Acts 1, we'll, we'll read that together very briefly. Luke starts with, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that, proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't think they'd got it then either, do you? They still were thinking back to Jesus coming to lead us out of Roman occupation. This is after he's risen from the dead, after he's explained everything that's going on. Oh, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still haven't got it. So there's still a change, a transformation of their minds going on in all of this. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he'd said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Same sort of question as the angels asked in the tomb. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead, isn't it? I think angels like asking questions. Maybe it was that they genuinely didn't understand what was going on with these people. I don't know. The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. That's a promise of God, actually, isn't it? Right at the end there. So this is, the, this is the period of time we're looking at this morning. It's kind of God's preparation of the disciples for, for Pentecost, for the rest of the book of Acts. And what I'd like us to do, if I can point this at the thing, <laughs> these, these wonderful technical gizmos. Uh, there we go. I want to point out to you that it's, this preparation time was about God transforming the disciples. They went from being as they were when he'd just died and it, gradually he opened their eyes, he opened their minds. So you will see that the road to Emmaus, they were actually blind. They couldn't see Jesus even though they were walking alongside him. Their minds, they couldn't understand what had gone on and God was starting to open their minds. And I think he was also starting to prepare their spirits inside them to receive his Holy Spirit in a greater measure than they'd ever known before. So for us, as God leads us in this season, I pray that he will open our eyes where we don't yet see things. He might open our minds where we don't yet understand things. And he'll prepare and open our spirits so that we can receive more of his Holy Spirit. There are plenty of examples of, in the Bible where people needed their eyes open. I'm thinking of 
Elisha and his servant, and his servant just did not see and understand that there was a whole army of angels around them, and God had to open his eyes in order for him to see that. We had a friend in a church a few years ago who had been involved in a very, very serious car accident, and he saw angels all over the place all the time. It was like his God had done something through the oh, what do you call it, through the trauma of that to peculiarly open his eyes. So this, this friend, John, he was, he was Anglian Windows, number one, no, Everest Double Glazing's number one salesman in the UK at one stage. And he used to be an evangelist in the church we were in, which was, meant he was a very good evangelist because, you know, double glazing salesmen's evangelists, similar sort of thing. Uh, he was an absolutely amazing guy at winning people to God. He, he convinced people <laughs> very well about their need of God. But this guy turns up at our house, him and his wife, uh, uh, only a few years ago, and said, oh, I could see this ring of angels around your house. And they're, they're, they're very tall, very bright angels, maybe like lightning, like that. And I just feel God's really got his protection and his presence around your home. That was good, I quite like that. And this guy would regularly see angels in all sorts of settings. Now, you may find that's a bit peculiar, but that's God peculiarly opening his eyes so that he could see something that most of us can't see. Other people have seen angels in various other settings, but I think he's got a peculiarly open eyes. But it's not just opening our eyes to those sort of spirit realm things. It can be opening our eyes in our current circumstances to what God is actually doing in us. I don't know whether you feel like this, but sometimes I feel like I'm going through things in life and you get in a muddle or you get so focused on the detail of what you're going through that you need God just to open your eyes and give you a bigger picture of what's going on. That's what these guys must have been like. They were so stirred up and traumatized by all that they'd been going through with Jesus dying on the cross and then the peculiarity of where his body had gone and all of that, that they weren't getting the bigger picture and they needed God to open their eyes to what was actually going on. Maybe you're in that position this morning, in which case we could pray and ask God to open your eyes to see that bigger picture. And it can be opening our minds to understanding things. Again, we can get locked into particular things in our own situation where we just don't understand what's going on. We need God to unlock that. So I pray that he'd do that in us this morning. So I want to suggest to you, now this, this is a roller coaster picture I managed to find. This is, I think it's called the, the, the Devil's Spiral or something, so probably not a very nice roller coaster really. But anyway, I felt like the disciples had been on a roller coaster uh, over these few weeks that we, we're looking at. They started off with loss and fear, where basically they felt like Jesus had gone, he'd been the centre of their lives, they'd lost him, and they were in fear. They then turned, and you, you see it a little bit in the scripture, about amazement and joy as they realized that Jesus is alive again. And then gradually, it turns into understanding, and I, I feel like there then comes a hope in these guys' lives. And then after that, in the following bit of Acts, we see the power of God come. But I don't know about you, I feel like God was preparing these disciples over this intervening period that we're talking about this morning. 
He prepared them as they went down into loss and fear, as they came up into amazement and joy, but still hadn't grasped the reality, and ended up getting into understanding what was going on and hope. And for me, one of the key elements of the understanding and hope comes from the fact that these guys kept getting it wrong. I mentioned the, the bit where they're saying, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? You know, and they're all ready for that. And they were completely off, off, they were in the wrong pitch, playing the wrong game. They were, they were doing the wrong thing. But these are the guys who ended up writing these gospels and these letters. And I think they've got it right by then, don't you? God had transformed them and transformed their understanding. So it's not just about an anointing of the Holy Spirit with power, although that is what we're talking about. It's about an anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes to bring understanding and comes to open our eyes. I was going to say, I feel like I've been on a bit of a roller coaster recently. I thought I'd give a bit of testimony about my, my life and what's going on. About 15 years ago, in, in this church, Carol and I had just relatively recently moved to Oxford, and that we used to have these River of God meetings on a Sunday night, which a number of you will know about, which were kind of Holy Spirit encounter meetings. And generally, I think I ended up waving my arms around and ending up on the floor. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite sort of, for some reason, God uses me by moving my body around. Some people in my previous church used to call me a windmill for a while. because, And you had to have a sort of cleared out area around me in the meeting. But anyway, I ended up on the floor of one of these meetings. And then this guy called David Pitches, who a number of you might know, who was a bishop in Africa and a well-known guy in the charismatic renewal, came up to me and said, God's going to use you to see people set free. And I thought, great, in the, in the power of the Spirit. Great, thank you, Lord. That's great. And only a few weeks earlier, I'd been in a meeting where a guy called David Devonish had been talking, who's part of the leadership of New Frontiers International. Again, quite a well-known speaker on things to do with setting people free. And I'd read a scripture out in that meeting. I do tend to read scriptures out quite a lot because God, God prompts me in that way. And this guy, Dave Devonish, then later in the meeting got me to stand up. He picked me out like, like out of this meeting and said, uh, you, you over there, you read that scripture. And he said to me, God's going to use you to speak the word of God into people's lives and to see them set free. Praise God. <laughs> That's great. So I'd had two people say within a period of probably six months of one another that God was going to use me in seeing people set free. So... How do you kind of, what do you do then once someone says that to you? How do you make that happen? I don't think you do really. I don't, well, it's not very easy to make it happen, shall we say. And then it got to um, me becoming an elder of the church probably five years ago. And, uh, oh, my timing's out. Is it five years ago? Less than that, isn't it? It's about three years ago. My wife knows every date and timing, which means I don't have to remember those things myself. <laughs> Um, and uh, standing up here being prayed for and a guy I think who's visiting from Derby or Nottingham that that sort of area comes up and says feel God's going to use you to see people set free to unlock their minds so that they can understand things of God and walk in freedom and you're like oh there it goes again and this is sort of 10 years later and you think Lord uh, this is really exciting uh, and great 
But again, what do I do with it? How do I get into that? And, and I feel like I've been on this journey where God's been speaking to that. And then, just over the last few months, we've been praying more about seeing people set free. Got to watch out if you pray more, haven't you, really? Uh, God might well take you at what you're asking and start to do things in your life. And what we've seen is more people coming to see us, asking for us to pray with them. More need of God, therefore, in our lives and the power of God, because it's not through our strength that we do these things. But also a stirring up of our situation. And, okay, it's not loss and fear, amazement and joy quite in the same way, but there's a stirring up of what God's been doing in our lives just recently. I... um, I work for a government body that funds environmental research and I got a new chief executive at the beginning of the year and he comes in and says, every area of this organisation I'm going to gradually evolve it except one area of the organisation and guess who's responsible for that one area of the organisation where he wants to see a radical change in that area. It's the area I'm responsible for. And immediately all sorts of things stirring up there. I then also had a car crash three weeks ago. I wrote off one of our cars. And it's like, God had preserved me. These people in front of me, farmers, had stopped to let some ducks cross the road. And I, um, I had to stop too. But I didn't have much room going round a blind bend on the A420 on my way back from Swindon uh, that day. And so I slammed into the back of them and... Small cars are made to crumple these days, aren't they? So it crumpled big time. And uh, it even popped the little dials out from the dashboard into my lap while I was sitting there. It was well and truly crumpled. Um, I'm a bit shaken up. I I was shaken up then. I, I just about got better. My ribs were bruised. But the wonderful thing about seatbelts and airbags and things is that You are well protected, and God also had his angels on my car, no doubt. Uh, Because I was going under the speed limit, so it was all right. (laughs) Um. (laughs) God's God's been shaking things up for us just recently. And I believe it's that he's preparing us. For more, and okay, maybe that those two things about my job and my car might seem like just practical elements of the way we we are in our lives. But I just feel God's stirring something in us at the moment, and my challenge is to get into understanding and hope from this. I started off with some loss and some fear. I was quite anxious. I've got my chief executive's six foot four, white haired, and very strong sort of guy. And saying, I want to change your area of the organisation, freaked me a bit at first. And I was sort of taken aback by it. Um, I've come around from that because I've got some understanding of where he's coming from. And I'm, a, I'm actually in agreement with him about a lot of what we need to do. But it's taken some coming around. This shaking of a, of a car crash is quite a challenge too. But God's doing something here. I don't know where it'll lead. I don't quite know what we might be doing in six months' time, a year's time. I don't know about this seeing people set free thing yet. But God's on the move in our lives. And I share that partly because I want 
to share that with you because that's what God's doing in my life, but also it might be something similar to what God's doing in your life. And if you have these seasons in your life where God does a sort of shaking, it's almost like he picks up you as a plant and shakes your roots a bit, and then he's moving you to somewhere, not necessarily physically moving you to somewhere, although that may be the case, but there's a shaking and there's a, there's a getting of the old soil off from around the roots, getting those roots ready to be potted out into something where they can grow and the plant can grow bigger. Maybe God's about that in your life this morning, in which case I would love to pray with you and I know there'd be other people who would as well because God's on the move in our lives and we need to get into understanding and hope, but we all need the power of God as well. Oh, we had our finances challenged as well over the last few months, I would say. Part of this with car crashes and things like that is uh, your finances being stretched. So I would say that's another element for us of God's testing. It's not that we've been broke or bankrupt or anything like that, but we have had our finances tested over these last months. So again, that might be an area for you. Or it may be your health is an area. Or it may be your children and your family. So what does Jesus say to the disciples in order to get them ready for the next step? You can only just see it there, but it's wait. (laughs) Um, It's quite interesting to me that Jesus' main instruction to these guys at this point in time, after they've gone through all of this, they've been up and down and round about, all sorts of things happening with their circumstances, is wait! And it's just... It's not even a a polite, gentle command. It's, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. I feel like there's a a force, maybe not in the way he said it, but just just a distinct clarity about wait for God in this. I guess he didn't want those disciples dispersed across the community, going back home or whatever. But there's more than that. There's actually a need for them to wait and allow God to act in their lives. Is that a word for you right now? Maybe you're about to rush off to do something, rush into something. Maybe God's saying to you, wait, I will come, wait. I think that's one of the most difficult things to do. These guys probably needed God to say that, Jesus to say that to them, because they probably would otherwise have got on with stuff and done, done some other things. We need to wait sometimes. And that waiting, it, it's, it, it says, by faith and patience, we inherit God's promises. So by faith and patience, that bit which we don't really like, because patience usually means we have to wait somewhat longer than we would otherwise have liked to wait. Maybe God's got some things in your life that he's been doing over years and years, and he's still saying wait, because he still hasn't fulfilled that promise yet. Does it mean he's not going to fulfill his promise? No but it means you might have to wait. Now, fortunately, these guys only had to wait for a few days. We may have to wait longer. So, yeah, what's this got to do with us? We need God's transformation, just like those early disciples. I'll keep saying it because I think we need to keep thinking about it. These guys came in ordinary fishermen. God's transformed their lives. They spent these years with Jesus, but they still needed their eyes open, their minds changed, their spirits open for God to move in them. And we need that.
we've, all, we've already started looking at how we can see a transformation in this church's life. For those of you who might be visiting us or new to us, you may not recognize what we've been doing over the last, particularly the last year or two, which is setting up what we call missional communities, which Grace mentioned earlier, which is communities within this church meeting uh, middle, during the middle of the week, generally, and reaching out to different communities in our society, whether it be regionally, as in parts of Oxford, or whether it be interest groups that have particular areas like playing football or, 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 or things like that, where there's people joining together with interest in an area. We are seeking to put the right things in place for God to come and to move. But don't you know we need what these disciples needed? We need this power of God, which we're going to be talking about over the coming weeks. Uh, but we need that. We can't make these things happen. We can't make ourselves be fruitful. We may indeed say, well, we're only a church of about three, there's maybe 300 people, 400 people. That's quite small. Perhaps you would like to see a, a much bigger church, and we certainly would love to grow much more than this. But do you think it comes from us putting these structures in place? Do you think it comes from us working harder at doing things? I suspect it doesn't. It, needs, we, it means we need God's transformation, and we need his power to come. Jesus did it with... These were 12 disciples. Well, actually, there were, there were 11 of them at the time that most of this took place, because one of them had gone and hung himself um, so there's only 11 of them and that's how Jesus focused and changed the, the known world beyond them he can use us in the same way and we can see that transformation so it's not about welcoming better, it's not about being more hospitable, it's not about lots of activities it's about the power of God and I think I've been really struck by that in preparing for this morning it's not about any of those things. It's about the power of God. That was the transformation that these guys had, and they had to wait for it. Sometimes I've been in a church life where you, you sort of think, oh, we keep going on and on and on about the Holy Spirit and meeting the Holy Spirit. Can't we get onto another subject or something like that? But it's not like that, really, is it? It's that we actually need his power to change us and to enable us to do things. We... Um, I'm going to put a little diagram up here, uh, which you may or may not have seen before. The guys that we've been, we've been meeting with a church in Sheffield over the last couple of years, trying to learn how to develop these missional communities and to be an outward-focused church that touches our community. They use this diagram all the time. They like diagrams and shapes and things like that. So forgive me if you're not a diagrams person. I am, so I quite like them. Um, this is a church which was in the same sort of situation we are probably about 10 or so years ago. And they've seen God transform them to a church of over 2,500. And even last year, they saw 100 people born again through cold contact on the streets, sort of speaking to people. They're seeing dramatic things happen in Sheffield. And I praise God for that. And I think, oh, I'd like to see that happen where we are. And they've kind of described the way that they've developed things in this thing, this, this square. This is how they describe discipleship and therefore the process that we tend to go through. You start off on the top line with D1 or unconscious incompetence. That sounds a bit, mm, unconscious incompetence. Sounds a bit critical, doesn't it? What it means is 
in church life, you start by... Well, we, we've been starting up a, a missional community to do with welcoming people. You may know we've been running a welcome cafe and other things like that to welcome people. And you start off by getting into it. You, you, you're into the flow of having... Uh, we been doing Sunday mornings where we invite people to go up to another another room and we talk about church life or we talk about Jesus and all of that and you get on with it and you you are unconsciously incompetent in other words you're you become aware that we're doing a good job with this but it's not half what we'd really like it to be and we'd love to see much more of God moving in people's lives so you then move to conscious incompetence which is I can't do this in my own strength feeling I don't know whether any of you leading missional communities have got to that, I can't do this in my own strength feeling. But I think we all get there. And indeed, in other areas of life, you get to that point where you realise, I can't do it in my own strength. This is the point where people need to call out to God and need to say, I can't do this in my own strength. And they then can turn that corner into conscious competence, where they, they start to see God move in their, in their lives, and God act in the lives of those around them, and things start to actually happen. And then from there, they move to unconscious incompetence, where they are living life with God moving in that sort of way. If I were to describe the guys we were talking to in Sheffield, it would be that in some areas of church life, not all of them, they've got round that square into unconscious incompetence, uh, sorry, unconscious competence. <laughs> this is where you get tongue-tied, isn't it? They've got round to unconscious incompetence in some areas because they're ne- competence because they're seeing <laughs> because they're seeing there's just too many long words aren't there up there that they're seeing God move in their church in a way that we are not yet seeing but I want to get there and I don't know about you you I want to get there where God is touching people's lives in that sort of way. But you could use that square for a lot of things. It's actually probably a management diagram as well about the way that you manage any situation. You probably look at it fitting into that. But in church terms, I feel like we're, we're at D2 in many things. We're at this conscious incompetence, knowing that we really need God. And so I feel like today and from now on, we need to be calling out to God because we need the power of God. We need these tongues of fire that are described later in Acts to come upon us. I just want to say, if you are in this situation, you may feel some other um, pushes on you. Some people, when they get to this point, feel like they'd quite like to jump ship, move somewhere else. Things are not going so well maybe I need to move on and do something somewhere else. That may be what God's calling you to, but I would not jump ship. I would ask God what he wants to do in in your life if you're in that sort of situation. Just because jumping ship may seem like an easy way out, but it may be quite the opposite. Other people tend towards passivity, just sit there and let the world go by. Again, that's not a response I would want to encourage in anyone because what we need to be doing is pressing in and asking God to move in our lives. And passivity is kind of a reaction that, that ends up with us losing that sense of uh, hope and confidence in God. 
Or some people just want to get a new vision. You know, oh, this thing isn't working. I want to do something else. And they just want to, you know, I'll, I'll get a new vision for something else. And so they drop what they're doing and just get into something else. Again, maybe that might be what God's calling you to. But I would, call, I would encourage you to ask God about that. So I think it's a time to call out to God. I like this little kid. There's several different pictures of him on the internet, all of them looking a bit like that, actually. It's great. It's time to call out to God if you're in a situation of change and you're in a situation where you want more of his spirit. But it's also time to trust in his promises. If we go back to several sections in Luke and in Acts... Jesus, the, the angels remind the, um, the women, don't they? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. We need a reminder, don't we, at times, of God's words and what he's saying to us. We need to trust in his promises, in his word. That was when the women were feeling a bit wobbly because they'd suddenly not been sure what was happening to Jesus' body. And then he, he, he later says to them, this is what I told you in verse 44 of Luke 24, while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then this is what is written, that Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So Jesus is constantly telling them things, reminding them of things, giving his promises. And these promises are true for us now, today. I, I mentioned about my own life, and sort of 15 years ago, God speaking about being used to help people get free. I don't feel I'm living in the good of that yet, but I trust God that he spoke that then and he's going to lead us into that. And there may be things he's spoken over your life where you think, it's been quite a few years now and I still haven't seen that happen. It doesn't matter. It's about the faithfulness of God and his promises. So I just encourage us this morning, if you've got any things like that, any areas where you feel you need the power of God to come, but also any areas where you feel... He's not yet fulfilled his promise to me. And this morning, I'd quite like to call out to him and say, come on, Lord, I'm still here, and your promises are true, aren't they? I'd encourage you to do that.